0: Proverbs chapter 11, chapter 11, let me read this couplet, uh, verses 12 and 13, he that is void of wisdom, of heart, despiseth his neighbor, but a man of understanding holdeth his peace. A talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. Now, when we finished up last week, we finished up with this word, rakil a tailbearer, spreader of scandal. Saw a number of texts of Scripture to show that that is definitely something that God forbids throughout Scripture. Something that uh, should not be a part of the life and the activity of any believer. Now, today... We move on to what this tail bearer actually does. It says that he reveals secrets. The word for reveal is gala. Gala means to denude. It means to strip bare. It means to uh, uncover. Uh, often, because of the the uh, particular use of the word in reference to uh, talking about. Uh, a, uh, a, a, a matter, a, a, a subject rather than a thing. Um, obviously, you can take the clothes off of a person and gala, uh you denude him, you strip him bare. But the word is more commonly used to speak of opening up an, a matter or opening up um, uh, something that uh, shouldn't be known or uh, something of that sort. Uh, there's a parallel word in the New Testament uh, that um, meant to uh, simply bear the throat um, and uh, was often used of uh, uh, the idea of of uh, uh, putting a sword to the chin of a prisoner so that he had to look upward. and uh, as he would as he would uh, uh, have to look at his accusers, uh, as he walked along the procession, they generally had a procession, a parade, as they paraded them to the gallows, and they would hold a sword at the at the tip of his chin, uh, so that he had to hold his head high and look rather than hide his head. A lot of times, you'll see prisoners pull their their. Uh, uh, coats over their head uh, as they're uh, being taken to jail on the television news you see that every once in a while or well, rather than allowing that they put this uh, uh, this sword at his chin and thereby bared his neck and uh, uh, that's why that's the word that is used in the book of Hebrews where it says all things are naked and open before the eyes with him we have to do uh, with whom we have to do uh, they're naked. That word for naked is the word uh, to, to put the sword to the chin. But this particular word, to strip bear, often uh, was used to speak of, uh, of betrayal or um, uh, the, the sharing of a confidence uh, that uh, should not be shared. I want you to uh, look at uh, Isaiah 16. Isaiah 16. Where you have the idea of betrayal uh, in this uh, particular word. Isaiah 16 and verse 3. It says, Take counsel, execute judgment, make thy shadow as the night in the midst of the noonday, hide the outcasts, betray not. Now notice it's negative. Betray not him that wandereth. You're not to betray. And this, of course, is... Uh, the uh, the word to Moab in the book of Isaiah betray not him that wandereth uh, Esau uh, was uh, hiding Moab was hiding and uh, uh, the idea was uh, that uh, it should not uh, the, it, he he should not be revealed at that point in Jeremiah chapter 49 Jeremiah 49 and verse 10 Here we have uh, the prophecy against Edom. And it says, uh, But I have made Esau bare. I have uncovered his hiding place. I have uncovered his secret places. And he shall not be able to hide himself. His seed is spoiled. His brother, his neighbors. And he is not. God has revealed the hiding place. Look at uh, Job chapter 20. Job 20. Verse 27, this is the matter of revealing sin. It happens to be the legalist speech, Zophar's speech. And it says, the heavens shall reveal his iniquity, and the earth shall rise up against him. When someone does something wrong, he's talking here about the wicked man, implying, of course, that Job was wicked, and uh, he was wrong, but nevertheless... Uh, This is what he's talking here and gives some very accurate things concerning what does happen to the wicked man. And beginning in verse 5, going right down through the end of verse 29, uh, he he gives a very accurate description of the fate that awaits a person who's wicked. His only problem is that uh, Job is not really uh, suffering because of wickedness. But nevertheless, what's said here is very important. It says, "...the heaven shall reveal his iniquity." And the earth shall rise up against him. Now the word reveal is the word Galah. It will expose. It will expose the sin. You look over at the book of Lamentations. Lamentations. And uh, chapter 2 and verse 14. The prophets have seen vain and foolish things for thee, and they have not uncovered thine iniquity to turn away thy captivity, but have seen for thee false burdens and causes of banishment. The, pro- the prophets uh, saw vain and foolish things as far as the destiny of these people are concerned, and have not uncovered thine iniquity, speaking uh, in lament of Jerusalem chapter 4 of Lamentations, verse 22. The punishment of thine iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Zion. He will no more carry thee away into captivity. He will punish uh, thine iniquity, O daughter of Edom. He will uncover thy sins. He's going to make uh, manifest all of the sins of the people. Now, the word then can be can be used uh, to speak of the of, of of uncovering sin or uncovering a literal hiding place, uh, it can be uh, used of betrayal of uh, revealing a secret that uh, should not be known. Now, in First Samuel chapter twenty-one, we have the the illustration of uh, Doeg. Let's look at First Samuel twenty-one for a moment. And verse 7, just read some selected verses here. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before the Lord, and his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the cheapest of the herdsmen that belonged to Saul. Verse 9, the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom thou slewest, speaking to David, so thou slewest in the valley of Elah? Behold, it is here wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take, take that, take it. For there is no other except that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it to me. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul, and went in uh, to Achish the king of Gaul. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul had slain his thousands, David his ten thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the uh, king of Gaul. And he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate. Let the spittle fall down his beard. He, beard, he, he faked, uh, 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 feigned uh, madness so that he could be uh, be saved in this particular case. And uh, then said Akish unto his servants, Lo, you see, the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? I have need of a madman, that ye have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence. Shall this fellow come into my house? Chapter 22, verse 9. And then answered Doeg the Edomite, who was set over the servants of Saul, and said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Himelech, the son of Ahithub, and he inquired of the Lord for him, and gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Now, what's Doeg done? Doeg has revealed, unfolded, uncovered. He was a talebearer, revealing a secret. He told uh, where David was and what David had done, and what the king uh, had done. Uh, a Ak- Kish had done as well. Now, look at Psalm. 52 Psalm 52 and verse 2 David wrote Psalm 52 at this particular time and uh, if if you didn't realize this maybe I could uh, share this with you briefly in the Hebrew Bible the little title that you have above your above your um, chapter Uh, In my Bible it says to the chief musician, Machiel, a psalm of David. When Doeg, the Edomite, came and told Saul and said unto him, David is come to the house of Ahimelech. That title is the first verse in the Hebrew Bible. And incidentally, if you happen to be uh, uh, working with an old commentary uh, where the person happened to be working directly from the Hebrew, all of the numbers are off. Because this is verse 1, and verse 2 is the one that we have for verse 1. And uh, it really fouls you up, you know, you, you're working through a commentary, and you're not paying attention, and it'll make mention that you ought to take a peek at, uh, at um, Psalm uh, uh, 52, verse 7, and you look, and it doesn't make any sense with what you're studying at all. And, uh, but the problem is that uh, they, uh, they just numbered it the way the Hebrew Bible numbered it. But it actually is a part of the text. Now there are some Bibles that add uh, titles to all of the Psalms. And if they do that, that that is not a part of the original text. But this is a part of the original text. This is a Psalm identified to be definitely a Psalm written at the time when Doeg revealed this secret. Now notice David's description of this man. Thy tongue deviseth mischiefs. Like a sharp razor, working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good, and lying rather than to speak righteousness, and so on. It's talking here, the whole psalm is talking about this person with a wicked tongue. And uh, it, it uh, uh, is a good psalm from the standpoint of, of uh, the gossip. In fact, I think it would be well for us just to read it. Why boastest thou thyself in mischief, O mighty man? The goodness of God endureth continually, always that, that note of hope as you look to the Lord. Thy tongue speaketh mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Thou lovest evil more than good and lying rather than to speak righteousness. Thou lovest all devouring words, O thou deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy thee forever. He shall take thee away and pluck thee out of thy dwelling place and root thee out of the land of the living. The righteous also shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. Lo, this is the man who made not not God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. I will praise thee forever because thou hast done it. I will wait on thy name for it is good before thy saints. Now, by the way, that is the res- the proper and right response. Last two verses there. The proper and right response to those that are tailbearers. You dig your roots deep in the house of the Lord. Be like a green olive tree. You be so fruitful that it will shut their mouths. Trust in the mercy of God forever and ever. The Lord ultimately will reveal all secrets. So you don't really have to have to worry about that. Now in the book of Nehemiah chapter 6, there's a another illustration. Nehemiah 6. 52 days it took Nehemiah to build the wall. And it says in verse 16, It came to pass when all our enemies heard of this, and all the nations that were about us saw these things, they were very much cast down. In their own eyes they were depressed, for they perceived that this work was wrought by our God. Then in verse 17, it says, Moreover, in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah. Remember, Tobiah was one of the enemies. um, And... uh, it, it says that uh, the letters of Tobiah came unto them. They're corresponding. Here you have nobles, rulers, people that are part of the royal family, if you please. Uh, the, the ones that should be taking the leadership. And they're corresponding with Tobiah. There were many in Judah sworn unto him because he was the son of uh, Shekaniah, the son of uh, uh, Era, and his son uh, Joh- Johanna, Hanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the daughter of Berechah. Also, they reported his good deeds before me, and uttered my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. There's some collusion here. There's some conspiracy. And uh, uh, Tobiah writes to these rulers, and they come before David and tell what a good man he is. And uh, he, in turn... Uh, they in turn tell uh, Tobiah all that Nehemiah is doing. And uh, so Nehemiah gets a letter from Tobiah that reveals that he knows every move that he's making. And, uh, and he tries to f- bring fear to Nehemiah's heart. Of course, Nehemiah was too big a man uh, to be scared uh, entirely by that. But nevertheless... These, uh, uh, this is the idea of unfolding or, or uh, revealing or laying bare a particular matter. Now, to go back to our text then. In, uh, in this particular text, it's talking, of course, about the Rachel, Talking about the tailbearer. And it's the tailbearer that is revealing one particular thing. He is, in this case, revealing secrets. He's not revealing sin. He's not revealing battle plans uh, in particular, but rather he is revealing confidential speech. The word is the word code. It's a word that means that which is intimate, that which is personal. It's confidential. It comes from an Arabic word uh, which uh, would look like this if we transliterate it, kawada. It means to speak secretly. A Berkeley translation translates that the that the uh, uh, tail bearer reveals or betrays confidences. There's uh, a word that we use quite commonly today to betray a confidence. Uh, but the word code is that aspect of confidentiality that makes a distinction uh, between uh, the word code and the word Esau. Esau is counsel or advice. But the word could is, is a word that uh, that that means uh, not counsel or advice. Not uh, revealing that which is necessary to reveal. But rather breaking confidentiality. Um, the If you look at Proverbs 15 for a moment. Proverbs 15 and verse 22 it says without counsel purposes are disappointed but in the multitude of counselors they're established without counsel without Esau uh, in other words that's it's a good thing uh, to to be revealing um, uh, revealing the 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 things that are proper and right to the right people if you're part of the Part of the problem or part of the solution, uh, then uh, you may be able to to uh, legitimately bring counsel. But uh, the uh, the Septuagint um, uses the this word "code" to speak of uh, cabinet counselors, the inner circle, uh, government secrets, if you please, the uh, the matter of uh, uh, security. Uh, an understanding that uh, security would have. The word is used for a circle of trusted intimates who give advice. Uh, it's, it's the idea of things that are very, very confidential. Uh, just for a moment, turn to uh, the book of Psalms again. Uh, Psalm uh, 55. Psalm 55. In verse 14... Notice it says uh, in verse 13, But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide, and my familiar friend. We took sweet cood counsel. Here we we had a secret between the two of us. We took sweet counsel together and walked unto the house of God in company. And then in uh, uh, Psalm 83... Psalm 83. And verse 3. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people. And have consulted against thy hidden ones. Taken crafty counsel. It's a matter of strategy. In this particular case of of warfare. uh, Where they have a secret plan. That's where the word is used. The idea of... uh, Of something intimate or something secret. It's used again over in Psalm 25 and uh, verse 14. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear Him. And He will show them His covenant. That's a good word, isn't it? The Lord gives us inside information. Secrets. Um, In uh, Proverbs chapter 3... And verse 32. The perverse is an abomination to the Lord, but his code, his secret, his intimate information uh, is with the righteous. Um, Job 19. Job 19. And verse 19. All my inward friends abhorred me. Job has got a problem, if you remember. He's really, he's really feeling down as far as his friends. His friends have been giving him advice. And uh, it hasn't been too, uh, too helpful. In his distress, he calls out to the Lord. But he says, All my inward friends abhorred me. And, and they whom I loved turned against me. Well, that word inward friends... Uh, That is the idea of that intimate, that secret uh, friend, the the sharer of secrets, one with another. So, um, there is the revealing of secrets. I want you to look at uh, Proverbs 20, Proverbs 20 and verse 19. Remember, in, in that text in Job, it says, I, you know, Job is, is saying, basically, uh, I, I hope that, that uh, my friends of all people, the intimates that I have, are not going to turn against me. But there is that danger. When uh, we share our hearts with people, and there, there, is the, uh, there is always that risk, there's always that danger, that they'll misuse the information. And so we have to be very careful. Even though I think it's right and good to have intimate friends. As we talked about last week. I think it's good for us to open our hearts to one another. To be honest with one another. Uh, to be vulnerable. And to allow, uh, allow people to see us as we are. And yet there, there's always that danger. And there's, there's certain individuals to watch out for. In Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 19 it says. He that goeth about as a talebearer." Reveal its secrets. Same thing we are studying here. Therefore, meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. There are those individuals who will tell you how wonderful you are. So that your guard is down. And you tell them the things you shouldn't tell them. And uh, they'll keep on flattering you. And telling you uh, just how... uh, How marvelous it is to have you as a friend and all of the rest and all the time milking information out of you which uh, they will eventually use against you or to use in some nefarious way. In Proverbs 25 and verse 9, it says, Debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself and disclose not a secret to another. If you are privy to information, about another individual you don't go around discussing it with everybody else you discuss it with thy neighbor himself with the person who has the problem or is the solution to the problem but not other individuals you don't go around talking about people I'll tell you something if you want to reveal secrets you go ahead and share all the bad things about you that ought to take up all your time and uh, you won't have time left over to talk about anybody else Be careful. Disclose not a secret to another. You don't go outside that circle. Because it's it's important that you keep that information close. Proverbs 24, 28. Be not a witness against thy neighbor without cause. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And you do not even uh, assume... That uh, there is a problem uh, just because the other individual has uh, acted a certain way or done a certain thing. Now, those are pr- some pretty strong words. And we need, to, we need to respond to that. We need to realize, once again, that it's a very, very dangerous, even a sinful thing. To be, to be gossiping, to be talking about other people, to be sharing secrets, uh, it's it's uh, it, it's a, a fascinating thing to see how the human mind works. We get information and it, and it becomes like Jeremiah said concerning the word of God. It becomes like a like a like a raging fire within that that you you cannot keep silent. You just have to tell somebody. Uh, it reminds me of the the old story that some of you I'm sure have heard, where uh, uh, the uh, preacher at a, at a, a convention. Uh, got up and he uh, he preached on confession is good for the soul, and uh, he uh, he talked about sharing your intimate secrets one with another and going ahead and opening your heart and uh, just uh, letting people know uh, uh, where you stand because it'll it'll sort of purge your soul if you do this kind of thing, and so uh, uh, these uh, four preachers went back to the hotel room and they were sitting and they were talking and. And uh, they were talking about the message. He said, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And I, uh, I for one, want to be first. And uh, he said, I really am kind of ashamed of this, but he said, I think maybe it would help a lot if I just unbear my heart and uh, tell you fellas exactly what, what my problem is. He said, once in a while, he said, I, uh, I get this tremendous urge to smoke cigars. And he says, my congregation would die if they knew this. But he says, what I do is when I get that urge, he says, I go off to another town and I buy a big box of cigars and I stand there, sit there, and I just smoke one cigar after another until I get it out of my system and they come home and I'm, I'm fine for a while. My, but he says, you know, my congregation's very strict against smoking and if they knew I did that, they would just absolutely die. The fe- second fellow says, you know, my problem is similar to yours, except maybe even a little worse. He says, I go out once in a while and get drunk. He said, I can't. I just can't help myself. But he said, I take a trip. I go away. I get on an airplane. I get to another town. And he says, I get, I, I get this tremendous urge to, to, to get drunk. And he said, I go out and I go on a two or three day drunk. I sleep the thing off and then I come back. And I'm fine for maybe another year. But he said, boy, once in a while. He said, it's just, it just really got a grip on me. And I hope that you brother brothers will pray for me third guy says well i don't know whether my problems as bad as yours or not but he says i i uh, i get this tremendous urge to gamble and he says i'll accumulate a pile of money he says i'll go to las vegas and i'll just blow the whole thing and he says it gets it out of my system and uh, why well, he said my congregation kill me if they found out about it fourth guy said well i've got a problem too i'm not sure how you would categorize it whether it's worse than yours or, or not as bad I, he said, once in a while, he says, I get this tremendous urge to gossip. And frankly, fellas, I can hardly wait to get out of here. <laughs> well, I think that, uh, I think you get the point. I think that we ought to be the kind of people where a person could, could say, you know, I, I know that I could go to th- so-and-so, and I could uh, share with him the innermost secrets of my heart. And I know that he would never misuse that information. He'd be a help to me. He'd be an encouragement to me. And uh, uh, he, would, uh, he, would, he would give me the, uh, the counsel that I needed. Uh, but uh, he wouldn't blab it to everybody. Incidentally, let me, let me throw this in for what it's worth. There's one thing that you should learn as a counselor. And that is, you never promise, you will never tell anybody. Don't promise that you won't tell anybody. You say, what do you mean by that? Shouldn't you keep confidences? Yes. To a certain degree. Remember, you sometimes have to reveal something if someone else is a part of the problem. Uh, I know of a man who received a call in the mail. A call on the phone in the middle of the night. And uh, um, he, he, the person on the other end of the line said, I want to tell you something, Pastor. But I want you to promise you won't tell another soul. And so he said, uh, well, no, I won't tell anybody. And the person said, uh, uh, you've got to promise me that you won't tell another person. Okay, I promise. He said, fine. He said, I am going to kill my wife and my children tonight. And then commit suicide. What are you going to do? Alright? You've made a promise. you never tell another soul. The man is some distance away. And you have committed yourself never to tell another soul. Well, he's caught. What he had to do was break his word. Because you... you are in a situation where you are uh, the the that kind of information has to be dealt with. Somebody has to get there in a hurry, and try to prevent this that's going to happen. Can you imagine what would be on the conscience of that man if the other man had ca- actually carried it out. And uh, sometimes you see uh, the confessional. The, a Catholic priest is committed uh, to to in the confessional to not reveal anything that's given in the confessional. Uh, they've changed that somewhat, but it used to be that it was it was absolutely forbidden by ecclesiastical law for him ever to reveal what was confessed to him there. But people would come in and confess something that uh, that was uh, uh, of a nature uh, that they needed help and uh, they needed it right now. And if the priest was not able to give that help, uh, then uh, he had him, he was caught. And a number of very interesting stories that arise out of that as well. But I think it's very, very wise to say to the person at the other end of the line, say to them, no, I can't make that commitment, because I don't understand the nature of your problem. But I'll, I'll guarantee you this, I'm not a blabbermouth, and if I have to reveal it to someone, it'll only be to someone who will be able to assist me in helping you, okay? Now you're okay. Because it may be the police, it may be an attorney, it may be other parties that need to be warned, or whatever. And uh, you have freed yourself to be able to, to keep confidentiality. But at the same time, reveal those things that need to be revealed. I, uh, I of course, uh, really uh, uh, enjoyed ministering to, to young people. And there were a number of years in my ministry until I learned through a hard experience. A number of years where I would tell young people, you can count on me. I'm never going to never going to blab to your parents about anything you do. And I I thought that made me, you know, really sharp with the young people, you know, because they could count on me. They could come to me with their deepest problems and never reveal things to their parents. But I realized that was dishonoring their parents. And there were times where it was totally necessary for me to go to the parents and sit down with them, and counsel with them, and talk with them. And here I was bearing, a lot of times, secrets that really parents should know. That's not gossip. There there is a place and a time for revealing of secrets. But there also must be confidentiality. And it's the tailbearer that goes around talking to people that really... Have nothing they can do. And of course, the, one of the best ways to do it, as I mentioned, is, the, is a prayer request. You know, you can gossip in a prayer request and it sounds very spiritual. Uh, did you know that I think we should really pray for Mrs. So and so? She did thus and so, and so on and so on. Did you know this? And, and before long, all the people in the prayer group know a secret that they have no business knowing. It's perfectly all right to pray for Mrs. Jones. Because she has a particular need which I cannot reveal at this time. But uh, that's fine. That's a good prayer request. Uh, But uh, to to reveal the secret can be very, very wrong. And even devastating. Not only in terms of your relationship with the person, but in terms of their life as well. So there's a real danger. Be careful. Now, the contrast between this tailbearer is of a faithful spirit. Here's the word, Aman. Aman means trustworthy. And uh, that word is the word from which we get our word that we use quite commonly. Amen. Aman means trustworthy. It means you can count on it. You can rely on it. Uh, and there's a, a use of it whereby it means I believe it. I do trust it. And uh, that's the idea really of amen. I trust it. Uh, when we say, in Jesus' name, Amen, we're saying, I trust what I've prayed to you, Lord. That's basically what it, it, is, it is saying. When, you, uh, when the pastor preaches and uh, you say, Amen, uh, which you should do now and then, um, and uh, when you do that, then uh, you're saying, I trust that, I, I believe that, I have confidence in that. I'm with you, 100%. Saying amen in a message is like saying sick to a dog. And uh, it encourages the pastor to get get through. As old uh, E.V. Hill says, it's breathing time. (laughs) In any event, uh, amen. Trustworthy. I heard, uh, who was it? Um, Oh, man. Can't think of his name right now. A, A black pastor from Midwest. And he uh, he brought a message on Amen. Uh, he he quoted the uh, he quoted the Lord's prayer, and he came to the end. For thine is the kingdom, and the glory, and the power, forever. Amen. He said, "I want to preach today on that word. Amen." And he preached on nothing but Amen. I'll tell you, it was some message, but uh, it means I trust it. I have confidence in it. All right, so. He that is of a faithful spirit. He that is of an amen spirit. He that is of a, uh, of, of a trustworthy spirit. Now the word spirit is a very common word. Used 387 times in the Ruach. In the Old Testament. And uh, it, it's speaking actually of, uh, of, the, of the inner. It can be speaking of the innermost person. Um-By the way, uh, it's interesting, uh, one uh, theologian or one Bible teacher uh, speaks of uh, the body, soul, spirit. It speaks of the body as the outer man. And the soul as the inner man. And the spirit as the innermost man. And uh, whether, uh, no matter how you draw it or how you see it, the spirit seems to be the dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell in our spirit... With a purpose of invading the soul, the mind, the emotions, the will, the conscience, the self-consciousness, and controlling the body. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, so that so that this becomes the base of operations. Um, it um, it seems as though, according to what Scripture says, that the function of the Spirit in an unbeliever, for all practical purposes, is uh, erased. Uh, that is, a person. A person, uh, uh, Adam I should say, uh, was uh, made originally a, a, a trichotomous being. And of course when people talk about trichotomous, dichotomous, multichotomous, or whatever, uh, it generally boils down to a, uh, to a, um, a nomenclature, to, the, to, to a particular style of language, uh, more than any real difference between the people. Um, I know that my friend Charles Ryrie is an example. Sp- speaks of man as a multicotomous man, uh, not uh, not simply uh, tripart—body, soul, and spirit—but uh, uh, rather he sees the soul as being divided into other parts, and thereby sees them as multicotomous. There are others that talk about tricotomous and dichotomous man, uh, but what I've displayed here is trichotomous. and I think that it boils down to the fact that. Adam was made a trichotomous being. And if if language means anything at all in the scripture... When Adam sinned, his spirit died. So that this was darkened out. The middle part here. The innermost man uh, was was totally obliterated. That meant he still could think. He still could uh, feel. He still could uh, have emotions. He could still decide. He still had a will. Uh, The soul was damaged uh, irreparably apart from grace... But nevertheless it was because of the loss of a uh, loss of the spirit so that when man is born today he is born dichotomous the body the soul and the spirit is dead and the spirit comes to life as a result of salvation and uh, that that spirit comes to life uh, and that spirit is that part of the the man that can respond positively toward God. There's not even any ability on the part of the unbeliever to respond positively uh, from God except for the fact that the Spirit of God works from the outside in rather than the inside out to convict a man or convince a man uh, of sin of righteousness of judgment and when he's accomplished his purpose and the man uh, indeed uh, uh, makes a decision to accept the gift of eternal life. Through Jesus Christ. Then the spirit of God. Comes within. And begins work inside out. With the individual. Seeking to pervade his life. Well now. It seems that the idea of the faithful spirit. Is really related. To the concept of the control of the spirit. In Ephesians 5.18. And that. When it's talking about Ruach. In this particular place. He that is of a faithful spirit. It is a spirit controlled individual. It is One. Uh, who who uh, has the spirit of God uh, not only in his life or every believer has that but actually controlling his life and his actions in other words, the spirit of God is not does not contribute uh, toward the one who gossips it's not the work of the spirit of God uh, when an individual is a talebearer uh, but rather it is the work of the flesh now uh, in proverbs uh, Thirteen, seventeen. we have this word aman uh, used in, in a, a very uh, good way. It talks about a wicked messenger falling into mischief and the word wicked, ra Shah uh, is used there to speak of the one who is doing the thing that's wrong. He's a wrongly motivated messenger and he falls into mischief. But a faithful ambassador is help. When an individual has a faithful spirit he can be a faithful messenger, and that faithful messenger is a healthy thing to have around. He's a good, he's a good man. Remember, the ancient armies used messengers and sent forth messen- messages, and uh, there uh, there are all kinds of uh, uh, gallant stories of the faithful messenger, the messenger who who came wounded sorely yet was determined to deliver the message and accomplished his goal. There are a number of uh, stories I remember reading in Latin uh, that that spoke of the the faithful messenger that got through, regardless of his wounds, one man who came to his destination and then fell down dead. Uh, Paul speaks of Epaphroditus as being a faithful messenger. Uh, he, he speaks of the fact that, that uh, he risked his life and he was nigh unto death in order to bring the message and the gift from the church at Philippi and bring it to Paul there in Rome. We don't know what befell him because Paul doesn't give us any detail. But you can imagine uh, that was a long and rigorous journey. He was uh, uh, in jeopardy of disease. Uh, Paul himself probably caught malaria in the coast of Pamphylia. And uh, uh, there was a lot of malarial type diseases, this sort of thing. It may have been a physical ailment of this kind. Uh, there were robbers along the way. Here was this man bringing quite a sum of money to the Apostle Paul. And uh, he might have, uh, uh, might have fallen uh, uh, victim to thieves. And yet somehow was able to uh, 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 salvage the uh, small store that he was bringing to Paul in the process. Or it might have been shipwrecked. Uh, but the, the point is that Paul spoke of his journeys and being perils of robbers perils of seas perils of, of even fellow countrymen and so on and so forth it was not an easy time you talk about walking the streets of New York these days uh, being uh, dangerous well it's dang- it was dangerous in that day uh, to go across country uh, and uh, uh, there were all kinds of dangers and Epaphroditus made the journey and he accomplished his purpose and he brought the gift to Paul he was a faithful messenger and uh, he was a messenger you can count on. And one of the reasons was because he was of a faithful spirit. Chapter 14 in verse 5, it says, A faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. When we, when we share, whatever we share, uh, in any way, uh, whether it's a court of law in an official capacity, or whether it is simply as we're talking to people about people, Uh, We have to realize that if we have the filling of the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is controlling our life, that we're not going to be lying. We're going to be telling the truth. The Holy Spirit is called the Holy Spirit of truth. Satan is the originator of all lies. And yet we find a propensity to lie, a propensity to exaggerate the truth. And if it does not come from the Spirit of God, if we have a faithful spirit, then we will not be prone to lie. And then in Proverbs uh, 20, and verse 6, it says this. Most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness. They'll talk about all of their accomplishments. But a faithful man who can find. A faithful man who can find. It's very, very difficult. Very, very rare. But if we are filled with God's Holy Spirit then we will be able to respond properly. Now, what does he do in our text? Well, the man who is a faithful spirit, it says, concealeth a matter. Kasa. Kasa. I should put an H there, actually. Kasa means to cover, to clothe. Uh, It can be used in a literal sense to put clothes on instead of denuding. That's a contrast there. It can also be used uh, for secrecy or for maintaining secrecy or for keeping a confidence. Um, Let's look at Psalm 85 and verse 2 first. Psalm 85 and verse 2. says this thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people thou hast covered all their sin remember he that covers his sin shall not prosper that is if you cover your own sin you hide your own sin uh, then you will not prosper but the Lord says that he covers the sin he covers it and uh it, it means uh, the idea of covering in the sense of atonement. Uh, covering in the sense of forgiving and uh, taking away and blotting out and all of that. Uh, and it's it's covering over so that it is uh, cared for. And uh, the sacrifice has been made. And God, God does not cover sin arbitrarily. He covers it on the basis of atonement uh, that has been made. Now, in Proverbs 10, verse 18, it says, He that hideth, there's the same word, he that hideth hatred has lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. When you have hatred in your heart, uh, and you're dealing with people, and you're, you're faking that you are uh, a really Mr. Nice Guy, and yet you have hatred in your heart, it's going to... Uh, it's going to to jade the truth uh, as you are dealing with that person. In verse 6 of Proverbs 10, it says, Blessing on the head of the just, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. It covers over the mouth. The, everything he says has a violent intent. In verse 11 of Proverbs 10, The mouth of the righteous man is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. The same idea there, verse twelve says, uh, "Hatred stirs up strifes, but love covers all sins." Now, there's the use of the word in the same sense in which we are using it here. It's the idea of covering, uh, the idea of forgiveness. He'll forgive. Uh, he will not make it a, a, a something that he carries on, something that he that he feels it's his bond and duty uh, to. To reveal to others. But rather, as far as he is concerned, whether there's been any personal offense, he will uh, he'll cover it. He will forgive it. He'll put it aside. A look at uh, Proverbs 12, verse 16. A fool's wrath is presently known, but a prudent man covereth shame. Again, uh, he, uh, he doesn't go around talking about it. I'm sure that it, it involves there as well. Forgiveness. It also involves the fact that, that he puts it aside. He doesn't, he doesn't make an issue of it. He perhaps could. Uh, he, he perhaps has been, been uh, ashamed by this man. He's been hurt by this man. And uh, there's no reason in the world why he couldn't unburden his heart and talk about it. Uh, uh, if, if it would make him feel better. But it doesn't make him feel better to do that. Because he's a righteous man. He's a good man. He's a man filled with the Spirit. And so he's willing to forgive. And if you please in this case suffer in silence. Proverbs 17 and verse 9. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. But he that repeateth the matter separateth, chief, separateth friends. There's a, a tremendous um, demonstration of love. A love that uh, that that does not keep track of the evil which it suffers. Did you know, uh, when it says in in first uh, Corinthians thirteen that love thinketh no evil, thinketh no evil. Uh, the, people, if you just read it that way, people immediately think of uh, the fact that no evil thought comes into his mind, but that's not, the idea of it there. It's the word logizomai. And uh, it means actually that he doesn't count up as in a ledger that evil which he has suffered at the hand of the other person. He does not keep track of evil. I found that women in particular have a tremendous propensity to keeping track of evil. Now, a woman comes into her, the, my office for counseling with her husband and uh and I ask her uh, well when did this problem start and she say do you want it uh, alphabetically or categorically well uh, why don't you just go ahead and tell me when, when did it all start well the night of our honeymoon 21 years ago thus and so and then she'll start and she'll get down about through the third year of marriage and by this time the time's almost gone hold it, hold it, hold it that's enough I can see what the problem is here you don't love your husband what do you mean I don't love him? I used to love him. I hate him now. But I used to love him. No you never loved him. You didn't love him the night of the honeymoon. Not the way God tells you to love him. Because love does not keep track of the evil that he suffered. And you're keeping track. You're keeping score. You've got it all added up. Now weighed in the balance and found wanting. you figured out. You've condemned the guy on the basis of the fact. That you have all the goods on him. That's not love love forgives and takes it out of the account wouldn't you like to receive a bill from PG&E saying we have kept track of all of the bills you've paid over the last 10 years and we've decided that you now owe us all of that money again And some of you when you got your bill last month that's what you thought happened right yeah. <laughs> well but you say they can't do that because the bill has been paid when you forgive... It is in essence... Taking care of the bill. The bill is settled. When you have forgiven something that a person has done... You never have a right to bring it up again. I talk about forgiven, forgetting. You can't forget it. Your subconscious mind retains everything. So you can't forget it. But you can purpose... That you will never use it again. And if you do... It's because of a lack of love and a lack of forgiveness. And there's such a danger that we get caught up in this thing and that we we begin, we, we, we have something against some uh, someone because they've hurt us or something else. And instead of being kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us, we put it in the ledger. We say, well, I may not be able to collect now but I'll collect later. Then something else happens, and we say again, and then finally you get your chance. And when you get your chance, then you start going to the ledger and say, Ah, here's what I have against you. This and this and this and dates and times and places, and you've got all of it there, and you've got a full case against them. You know, God never intended that we deal with anybody that way, and when we do. We generally are able to destroy relationships. Even sometimes the works of God are destroyed. Listen. You've got a minor little beef. With some individual. You are committed before God to go and deal with that beef. And you can deal with it. And it will be done. And you can go, go your way. Good friends. Another beef is going to rise. The guy's a rat. Okay? He'll do it again. But you can deal with that when it happens. And then another, and then another, and then another, and then another. Until Peter says, Lord, shall I forgive seven times? The Lord says, try 490 times for starts. There's no end to it. But as long as you're dealing with small bite-sized problems... You can deal with it and put it away. Do you know what I hear a lot? I hear a lot of times people who have put away a beef, bringing it up again as a point of gossip, as a point of, of making the other person look bad. We've got this dumb idea that if we can make them look bad, we'll look better. So stupid. People do it all the time. Forget it. Put it away. Deal with it. Forgive it. Cover it over. We'll talk more about it next week. Thank you, Father for bringing us here today. Now, minister to our hearts, we pray. We pray that as we go our several ways, we will go with the grace of God being evident in our life and the Spirit of God in control. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good day, men.